0: Hello! QueerAF is now an independent community interest company. Our podcast's first four seasons were funded by National Student Pride, and so there might be some old calls to action in them. For the most up-to-date info on our podcast that funds budding LGBTQIA audio producers, visit wearequeeraf.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter that sums up the LGBTQIA world and supports queer creatives kickstart their career. Enjoy the show.
2: everyone finds it difficult to to do that coming out thing, whether you're a a really young person or whether you're much older and the context in which you're coming out is is different. But I think everybody finds
3: finds that difficult. In just a few weeks, my mum is getting married to her same-sex partner. But before she does, I want to chat to her about how we got here.
2: It was kind of unusual and I think it was, it was sort of unusual on two fronts because when I entered into the same-sex relationship and then made that public, so that was my coming out, if you like, I was really aware that my life would change forever and that people would view me differently even
3: though I wasn't a different person. I've never had a frank and open conversation with her about sexuality, which can sometimes feel really odd. I just want to ask her what it was like when she came out 20 years ago, while I was still a child. What sacrifices she had to make, if any, and how she felt when I, her daughter, came out as a lesbian. Was, was, it, was, was it a big decision? I, I don't. I don't obviously remember anything around this. Yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how old I was at this moment when when you realised.
2: Uh, it was quite a big decision, and uh, the
3: decision wasn't
2: just for me. My ex-husband worked in the same organisation as me, so I, I was aware that there the might might well be coming you know, um, from from that and The other aspect of it was more about um, my children. So, so me.
3: Yeah. You can refer to me in this, yeah. by the way.
0: This week on Hashtag F we have quite a special episode for you not only because it's the first episode of season four but as we reach 15 years of national student pride this year we've asked an old volunteer journalist eve harley to produce her first ever podcast for us she's undoubtedly queer af and frankly leads af Growing up, she split her time equally between her divorced parents, alternating between her mum and dad's houses each week during her childhood. Her mum fell in love with a woman who would later move in with them to the family home. But she's never spoken to her mum about coming out and what that meant for her mum.
2: Well, it's not something I guess I've ever
3: talked to you about. It's always just been a a fact of your life, really, hasn't Mm. it? I guess that's what's nice about this is that it's kind of an opportunity to be able to sit down and make time to talk about something like this that I wouldn't normally ask you about, really.
0: And classic Eve. Now she's got started, she wants to hear it all.
3: I've always been quite curious. Obviously, I'm a journalist. I'm always quite curious about family history and things that have happened. So I do like to hear all the nitty-gritty bits and just kind of piece together what's kind of happened.
0: That's this week's episode of Hashtag Query F. I'm Jamie Wareham.
3: Shall we grab a Prosecco? Uh, good plan. So naturally, I think if we're going to do this, alcohol is going to have to be involved. Oh, careful, because it's beautiful oh. about <laughs> Excellent. I didn't want it to spill because I was going up and down the stairs on the, the tube. So, I didn't so want my to mum makes well. a journey down from Scotland to visit me and I swing by her hotel, it's armed really cool. with a bottle of Prosecco. We chatted for the first time about coming out, how my mum developed a complex relationship with Pride, and what her same-sex wedding happening in just a few weeks means to her. A lot of people laugh when I tell them I don't remember my mum telling me she was gay. So that's where we started. Obviously, somewhere down the line, it became apparent that it was a relationship and you guys were together and I mean you probably did tell me but I just didn't take it in at the time and I don't remember a feeling like it was unusual I don't know if you remember more about that reaction at that point and I, I, I really don't have strong memories about about that moment in time and And what happened, really.
2: Yeah, I do remember talking to you both about it. You were both very young. Mm -hmm. um, So I think you would have been about five or six, maybe, maybe even slightly younger. Mm -hmm. um, And your brother was obviously slightly older. um, And I do remember having a conversation at a very basic level, which which was something along the lines of, look, you know, how would you feel about it if, you know, um, Chris moved in with
3: us? I think I remember that. I think I remember that's how you put it. It was like... How would you feel if, if Chris was in the house? I think I, yeah, I think
2: that was it. Yeah. And it, I mean, I, I did sort of say because we're, you know, we're in a relationship together, we you know, mm-hmm. we want to be together. But I didn't I don't think I went into any more specifics at, at that point. And the response from your brother who who was just a little bit older, you know, he, he kind of said, Oh, well, as long as you're happy, Mum, it's it's absolutely mm-hmm. fine. And, you know, we like Chris and 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 it's it's fine. And you were just that little bit younger, but you you didn't you you seem to be mm. kind of completely. I think with okay.
3: kids, I don't know. Like obviously, I've not got kids, but I, I feel like with kids, there seem to be a, there's a level of understanding and more acceptance. Um, and my my uh, perception
2: of young people now is that that they're so much more accepting of difference and of you know. Um, just people that have idiosyncrasies or you know
3: do you um, do you think it would be easier if you came out now like you saying you came out what like 20 years ago 25 years ago do you think now if you did it now you it would feel more comfortable
2: um i i would like to think so but i still see the challenges that young people young gay people and and older gay people and you know and others with you know with differences Um, I still see the challenges that those people Mm. face. I guess, like,
3: personally on your own journey, would you feel... I don't know, like, would you feel more comfortable doing it now? Like, if you were the same person, say, me and Matt were older and you just hadn't met Chris yet, you hadn't met anyone until now, until me and Matt were obviously old enough and grown up and moved out and everything, do do you, and you've obviously moved back to Scotland and life's a bit more different. Do you think you'd feel better then, like, as opposed to now?
2: I think, well, I think if, if you relate it to anybody's coming out experience, everybody's journey's different. But everybody, everybody, I think, not, not, I'm sure it's not without exception, but when I was entering into the relationship with Chris... I thought about it very carefully not as I say not just from my own perspective but because I wor- worried about whether you guys would be impacted by it I didn't want you to be bullied at school mm. um, as a result of anything I did I didn't want the neighbors not to be talking to us as a result of you know us being in a same sex relationship I didn't want um, my ex-husband to you know to to perhaps um Uh, you know, pursue legal action to have you taken away from me because of, you know, because Mm. I was in a same-sex relationship. So I did think about it very seriously and I thought about it in some depth. I took some legal advice and, you know, I kind of went through and, and did all the kind of due diligence things that that you know you wouldn't necessarily do if you were just entering into another straight
3: relationship just because I felt that there was a there was a, there were more complexity around it that's really interesting and then in terms of that how did it feel when obviously I came out as gay and you realized I don't know like how did, that must have been a nice feeling yeah, it it was a nice feeling, but it, the
2: the the best thing of all was that you were able to tell us that you were who you were, um, and you know, um, I, I guess anyone who's a parent might have an inkling, um, at some point that their child mm-hmm. may you know m- might might be have a tendency towards being gay or or you know or bi or or, or whatever. Um, but obviously, you know, um, a child is entitled to their personal life and to their personal growth and development, and so it was never anything that
3: that I wanted to ask. You know, um, I just. And I think it. I remember you saying to me once. It's something that kind of stuck with me when you just said, "Look, I don't care if it's a, a boy, girl, whoever, in between, as long as they're nice to you and they treat you really well." And that stuck with me. And I, th- I don't think many parents especially at that point tell their children that enough Mm. Um, so I think that experience of having a parent who maybe gone through some of the difficulties and navigated through all of these complexities of entering a same-sex relationship really helped in terms of my coming to terms with who I am and also just knowing that you would just accept me Mm. Um first and foremost
2: and there 's never any question in my mind that I would accept you know whatever path you wanted to go down i don 't think there was ever any question that that I would have supported you doing that i did I did worry slightly because I knew that i of about the challenges that I had been through and we've had we've had abuse shouted at us in the street we've had you know we've had people you know, saying things at work, we've had, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, so, you know, I was aware that that was all kind of a, around, I worried for you, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that you would have to sort of experience
3: some of that because of who you are. And it does, and it's, yeah, it is all around us, um, and that is, that that's interesting that you thought that, because I'd, I'd not really thought about that point of view before, Um, in terms of you being a parent who's experienced something that I may have experienced, Um, and how that would kind of impact me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I was brought up, the world was really quite a different place.
3: So I guess it was sad for me, although not that surprising considering the generation gap, to hear that my mum found it difficult to come out to my grandparents, her parents, more than anyone else. When I did come out and I got together with Chris, telling
2: my parents, even as an adult, you know, who's, you know, an older adult... (laughs) Was really quite a difficult thing. Uh, and how did that conversation go? I don't think I've ever asked. Oh, it was, well. I I think I tackled my mum first because I thought she might might be easier to talk to. Um, and um, her first reaction was, "Oh dear, I, I I I was worried you were going to tell me that." But eventually, you know, over time, and I think my mum must have told my dad actually because I don't really remember having a conversation with my dad, although my 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 dad did have a conversation with Chris a, a couple of months after I think we got together and and where where they had a kind of an in inverted commas man- to man chat <laughs> and, and kind of you know they 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 sort of sorted a few things out. And, um, I think basically, my dad said you better look after her, and you know Chris said I promise I will, and you know that was the that was the sort of context of the conversation. Um, that that to me actually even com- you know the coming out of work, I mean that that it was felt like it was dealable with. It would, I knew it would blow over and it would be yesterday's news, you know. And, you know, the, 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 the stuff around you and, and your brother. And the, there were things I could put in place to mitigate and manage any risks are, are around you mm-hmm. guys. But, you know, with your own mum and dad, uh, it, you know, it was, it, and because they were older too uh, and so traditional, I did find it quite hard.
0: After the break, Eve chats to her mum about having to learn about being a member of the LGBT plus community much later than her. Eve was able to work it out as a teenager and put that into action as a young 20-year-old at uni, Just how we first came across her at National Student Pride. But what's it like developing a relationship with pride when you're much older? Eve gets that perspective from her mum before she gets married in a beautiful ceremony in Edinburgh.
2: Try not to be Bridezilla. I don't know if you can be Bridezilla when you're, when you're um, you know, in a same-sex relationship. But... You can.
0: <laughs> We've got it all on the show. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Hashtag F, a project by National Student Pride that mentors, pays and supports students, graduates and LGBT plus reporters to get some of their first audio commissions. National Student Pride is 15 years old this year and you can get your £5 weekend tickets to the biggest LGBT student and graduate event of the year at the University of Westminster the 21st to the 23rd of February. This year's themes are focusing on women, queer sex, disability and researching the rainbow as we look back and hit our mid-teens. Visit studentpride.co.uk to get your tickets. We're back. This is Hashtag Gray i I'm Jamie Wareham. This week, we've got National Student Pride Committee alumni and journalist Eve Harley. She's back to tell the story of her mum's life, straight from marriage to a very gay marriage. In this half, we go to the wedding. But first, we explore how Eve's mum, Lynn, built a relationship with Pride at a much old age than most of those who attend National Student Pride which is in just a few weeks.
3: I guess for me, obviously I've been involved in organising Student Pride. I go to London Pride every year. I've even been to Leeds Pride a few times. I've seen you at Leeds Pride before. So yeah, like I don't know. How do you feel about going to Pride? Well,
2: um, so because I didn't um, get into a same-sex relationship until sort of later on in my life, until I was about 36, 37, Pride was kind of a really new thing for me. And uh, when did you
3: go to your first pride?
2: Uh, it would have been in Leeds uh, when I lived in Leeds, and when when we uh, lived in Leeds, and you still lived at home. I think you don't really realise the challenges that LGBTI people have
3: mm-hmm.
2: until you're in that position. And so once I got into a same-sex relationship and realised that that you know there was still quite a lot of um, challenges in the mm-hmm. way that people perceived you, in the way that people uh, saw saw me and and saw my partner. Until then, I hadn't really thought much about Pride or, mm-hmm. or what it was about. But once we'd been living together for a few years uh, and I started to make friends in the gay community as well, we'd you know developed um, good friendships with other people and I joined a gay choir. It, that's something
3: that was drawn because obviously... Before the gay choir, you weren't really involved in the gay community at all. Well, we're both we we're both a bit older, and obviously my partner's even
2: older than I am. Um, so we weren't really kind of on the scene. We didn't really, you know, do do the, the whole club thing. Um, you know, we both were older with responsible jobs. We had children. Um, and so it's not a thing that I really did. But joining the choir obviously increased my awareness significantly and also gave me a real community to kind of belong to Um, and it was really through the choir that I started going to Pride. I don't think I would have really linked into Pride had it not been for some of the challenges that we'd we'd faced in our um, relationship but the the choir and that community gave me a kind of avenue and gave me a, a, an opportunity, if you like, to sort of interface with Pride in, in a really um, straightforward way. And
3: why do you think it took you that long to go to Pride when you were, obviously were in a same-sex relationship for a while before actually going? Yeah, mainly because I think it
2: was just something that was outside my realm of experience. I mean, it's something I knew about, but because, you know, because I had previously been in a heterosexual relationship, um, it wasn't something that I just ever really come across. And I didn't really feel as if it was for me because there was some element of, you know, joining the same sex relationship. There was some element of that where I, I felt as if I might not be welcome because people would think that I had made a sort of, you know, um, a, a decision decision you know, to, to to be in that relationship. So in,
3: in terms of you'd think that members of the LGBT community might not welcome you in because of your past heterosexual relationships?
2: Yeah, there's certainly an element of that. And I, I felt as though um,
3: that I might be judged for making a lifestyle decision. Yeah. And, and but... did anyone ever say that to you? Or do you think it was just like internalised thoughts that maybe you didn't feel welcome or i guess did did someone ever make you feel unwelcome yeah. like well, that must have stemmed from something uh, no no i don't think i was ever made to feel unwelcome or made to feel that way
2: but i was just aware and and obviously when I, when i i um, got into this the same-sex relationship to begin with I had to educate myself a bit about LGBTI
3: culture What was that like like you said so you came out I don't know you, you were in a same-sex relationship from your late 30s. What was it like to kind of get to that point where you have to start educating yourself on those issues because obviously for me I don't know I've known since I was like I don't know a teenager. So I think that's something that I've always been involved with and I've said to you before, like, look, I've been organising Pride festivals Mm. since university and I've always kind of been around that scene since moving to London, really. So it's interesting for me because I've never known really a space where I haven't been able to educate myself on those issues. So... What year was it that you and Chris got a civil partnership? Well, that's a really good question, I just can't remember. Oh. Off <laughs> my mum's getting married in just a few weeks, but it's not their first ceremony. So around nine or ten years ago, date not exact, um, my mum and Chris had a civil ceremony in uh, Bristol. So there were seven of us all together, and that was quite a small ceremony, wasn't it? Yeah. And this was obviously prior to gay marriage being being legal. And what what was the point in that civil ceremony? How did it feel, I guess, at that point. We talked at the beginning about the sort of Pride movement and
2: about how I'd felt about Pride and I talked about having come to Pride through the Gay Abandon, which was the choir that I sung with, and how singing at Pride and then marching as a choir at Pride, I mean, I'm I'm talking to you now and I can feel, I can still feel the, the goosebumps from that whole experience of just being part of that community of people. Who singularly experience life in a way that others do not, and feeling that it was about standing up and you know be showing who we were and being who we were and 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 genuinely being proud of that and the civil partnership was kind of part of part of that I think too i mean it was it was our commitment to one another because it was the only opportunity we had to make a commitment to one another at that time. You know there wasn't the opportunity for for a wedding. We could have had a blessing, I think, but that would have been difficult. Uh, so really, is uh, we've been together quite a long time, and I think we felt that we'd kind of weathered a few storms. I think Chris had it not had not long recovered from serious illness. You guys were doing well. Um, our, we were so proud of our family, and I think we just really felt we wanted to. Make that formal commitment to one another and to celebrate, you know, to celebrate the family. And and it was so lovely that my parents were able to come and were want and wanted to be part of that day. Um, and it
3: was important to me that we were able to do that with the people that matter most to us. And I think like, that that day I remember it really clearly. It was a be- It was actually like a heat wave in Bristol, and we remember getting pictures taken in this little park, and we were all sweating, running around. Uh, drinking Prosecco um, and it was it was really lovely really intimate affair and obviously Chris proposed marriage to you on our family holiday last I want to say last summer. year last summer and um, September. September September and that had been something that you'd been joking about for a long time about get putting a ring on it you know the famous words of Beyonce and you know all of that and I guess I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the difference because the intimate between the intimate civil ceremony with only your closest family members to your wedding, which is happening next week, in yeah. fact, next weekend, and there's going to be 100 people, a bit less than 100. Well, or 40, 40 people during the day. 40 people during the day. And then uh, probably double that at night. Double that. So around 80 people, and that's from seven people... Nine or so years, we think, ago to 80 people in the centre of Edinburgh. And it's a real full day of it, isn't it? Like, there's so much going on. Uh, You've turned into the wedding planner. Um, I don't think I've ever seen my mum more organised. We've had cups being shipped into the house left, right and centre. And whenever I've gone to visit, there's always Amazon boxes. Actually, there's been a feud with the neighbour because my mum has ordered so many Amazon packages. The neighbour is now refusing to accept them. So this this is the scale that I'm trying to put a picture in people's minds of the the scale between last time and this time. And yeah, why do you think that is? Well, wait, Chris and I had
2: a we had quite a long discussion about what you know how we would do it. I mean, so. We have joked for quite a long time that we should get married. I mean, once the once the the marriage laws came in in Scotland, it was only ever a matter of when rather than if. And I think part of it is a statement. You know, we're making a statement which says that you know we want to be viewed equally to heterosexual couples. We work hard. We pay our taxes. We have a household. We have children. You know, we are full members of society. We contribute to society in a very meaningful way, and therefore we should have a right to celebrate our relationship in the way that other people do. And you know, when when the uh, marriage laws were were passed, uh, you know, it was all for us. I think it was only ever a matter of of time. And so, uh, in terms of scale, uh, that's a more personal discussion, really. It it
3: feels like initially, when you were talking about the wedding, it was a very, I remember the first initial conversations was just very small, just a very small gathering of of friends and family. And and then the weeks rolled on and the months rolled on, and more and more people kind of got on board. And I think now it feels to me like it's going to be. A real celebration of you and Chris's relationship. And that's a lifetime's worth of friends and family and people who have just been there along the way. And maybe that's what turned it into more of a, a bigger event. Yeah. yeah, I think Chris and I, um, left to
2: my own devices, I would have just gone down to the registry office, me and her, pulled a couple of people in off the street to witness it. And just done it and then put a picture on Facebook afterwards and said, look what we just did.
3: You were talking about Vegas at some point as yeah, well. We did consider Vegas just
2: running away to Vegas or get, you know, having a family holiday out there and just doing the Vegas thing, getting married by Elvis and all that. And I was very attracted to that. But I think in the end, it comes down to what really matters to you. And what became clear in our conversations is how important our friends and family are to us. You know, my partner really wanted to have a bigger bash so that we could have our extended family there. But I I agree with you, Eve. I mean, I I really hope that it is a real celebration. And I, I really hope that the people that are coming see it as Celebration of our relationship as a gay couple and not just as, uh, you know,
3: another kind of wedding, if you see what I mean. And I think that's it. Like, for me in particular, as a daughter, it's quite nice to see, like, in my lifetime, I've seen, like, the Civil um, Partnerships Act pass. I've also seen gay marriage um, legalized as well. So now it's quite nice for me to be able to attend. My mum's uh, gay wedding, I think for me, what I'm trying to get at is, it is a really meaningful moment personally as well, because of the layers, because of all the different things going on and seeing, obviously, my brother, my granny, and my mum and everyone just coming together and just saying, like, love is love, it's normal, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I know it's not traditional for the, the
3: son of the bride to, uh, to do a speech but I thought, well, when's
0: anything
3: being conventional in our family? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's a long time since I was introduced to mum's work friend from
0: London.
3: <laughs> it seems to me it's kind of like against all odds, against all complications and all matter of things that could have possibly doomed and tanked this relationship. It's quite nice that you get this one moment to sit back, relax with all your friends and family and be like, we did it. We got through it, and we're stronger than ever. I think, I, I hope that that what we're doing is just shining a
2: light on a good relationship, we're, we're, or or uh, an enduring relationship. We're not shining a light on a, a long-term gay relationship, but the the fact is, that's who we are. Anyway, mum, you look absolutely beautiful today, yeah, as always, and. Yeah. Um,
3: On behalf of me, I can't thank you enough for all the love and support you've given us
0: throughout the years.
3: And I know I wouldn't be where I am today without you, so thank you. My mum's wedding with her same-sex partner will always be a special memory for me, not only because it highlighted how many attitudes have changed from my mum's generation to mine, but also because walking my mum down the aisle with my straight brother, surrounded by our friends and family, felt how it should, completely normal. When the wedding party rocked up in the centre of Edinburgh, dozens of strangers crowded round. We were on a vintage bus in the Royal Mile and people just came by just to give their best wishes. It gave me hope that in the future more families will look like mine and no one will blink an eye. My mum's bravery and openness to come out at such a difficult time in her life will always inspire me. Growing up, I had a dad, a mum and two stepmums. To be queer and to have my own queer icon being my mum is something I'll always be grateful for.
0: to Eve and her mum, Lynn, for letting us share her intimate and candid and beautiful conversation in hashtag QRF. And if you made it this far in the episode, without mistaking Eve for Jodie Whittaker, the actor who plays the Doctor, then you did better than me. You can find at Eve underscore Hartley on Twitter for more LGBTQ stories covering international topics. Today's production came from me. My handle is at Jamie underscore Wehring. Stick with us to hear the trailer for more of what's coming in season 4. And while that's playing, if you've enjoyed the episode, remember to rate and review us on iTunes to get the show to more people and spread the hashtag QueerAF message by sending this episode to a friend who you think might appreciate it. Or stick out a message on social at StudentPride and tell us why you love hashtag QueerAF. Our live podcast event that last year featured Ian McKellen being interviewed by Evan Davis is back on stage at National Student Pride on the 22nd of February. Don't miss it. But now, a preview of what's to come in this season. Why do I always end up with the sex-themed podcast? Hashtag is back for season four. With more LGBT plus reporters than ever. Like Rosa, from Bristol.
3: I have a confession to make. I don't really feel queer AF, even though I've always fancied girls and people across the gender spectrum. I just managed to believe
0: that because I also fancied boys, it didn't count. Jacob, from Manchester. I want to go deeper into my personal life than ever before. Rory, from Dublin. That's why it's still so hard for me to fathom wandering to a tube station at 5am... High on drugs I'd been forced to take, I was living a real-life nightmare. Eve from Leeds.
3: You said that Granny wasn't necessarily surprised, but you'd lived a heterosexual life. And at this point, obviously, you were divorced from a dad. I I guess you learned from that experience and helped me come to terms with whatever we were going through during that phase of, of life.
0: With more stories about love
1: yeah slid into the dms and then <laughs> yeah the rest is history dating I every know, time right? i
0: even either dating or in a relationship i really like dating i love women i love sex i feel like i'm an aa meeting and working out just who the hell we are
3: i have been in three relationships two of those with men and one with a woman identifying as
1: pansexual Gender doesn't matter to me, but it seemed to have mattered a lot more to other people than it should have.
0: Hashtag AF, the podcast from National Student Pride. When you listen, you support the students, graduates and LGBT plus reporters we mentor to build their audio portfolio. In return, they tell you beautifully produced queer stories. I'm Jamie Wareham, and we're back in your podcast feed where you can get us for free every Monday from Jan 27th With a different LGBT reporter. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple, and podcast apps everywhere. We are hashtag QueerAF, and so are you.
1: Hold up.